I said yes to this because of young people and families and the mission that I work with. And no other candidate in my race, certainly, was talking about the things that I was talking about. No one shared about what homeless youth and families are going through in this country. And I just had a moment of pride. And I didn't feel a lot of pride on the campaign. But this, in retrospect, was such a moment of pride for me because I walked away knowing that I truly uplifted their stories. Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of The Broadcast, a Chicago podcast dedicated to showcasing women who are making an impact on Chicago and their communities. If this is your first time listening to The Broadcast, welcome. We're glad you found us. And for those of you joining us again, welcome back, and thank you so much for listening. All of this is made possible because of you and our amazing sponsors and partners, We Will and Evolve Her, and our podcast home, 1871, Chicago's premier hub for entrepreneurs, innovation, and technology, and not just in the region, but in the world. It's true. They got an award. So I'm Becky Carroll. I'm the president and CEO of C-Strategies, and I'm also your host. As we discussed in the last episode of the broadcast, women only make up 20% of Congress. Well, actually, it's 19%, but who's counting? Today, I am thrilled to talk to three amazing women who each raised their hand to increase that percentage by running for the U.S. House of Representatives in last month's Illinois primary election. So please welcome Saul Flores, Kelly Mazeski, and Marie Newman. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. Hey. So Kelly is a scientist, breast cancer survivor, and local government leader. Kelly ran in Illinois' sixth district against a wide field of candidates. Saul Flores is the founding executive director of La Casa Norte, a community-based organization whose mission is to serve youth and families confronting homelessness. Uh, Saul ran in the fourth district to fill the seat of outgoing Congressman Luis Gutierrez. And Marie Newman is an entrepreneur and former national nonprofit executive. And Marie ran in the third district against incumbent Congressman Dan Lipinski. And I can go on and on and on about their lengthy and prestigious bios, but let's hear directly from these rock stars. So welcome, ladies, again. (laughs) And Kelly, I think I'm going to start the conversation with you. And having worked on my fair share of campaigns, I know that running for office is a daunting task filled with lots of personal and professional uh, sacrifice. What was one or two of your biggest takeaways from this experience? And maybe, you know, something positive and something negative or not so happy that can help inform other women seeking to do what you did. Well, two, I'll give you a positive and a negative. The first thing I found out is that I really walk away thinking it was a privilege to run. People tell you their personal stories and why certain issues matter so much to them. And they're trusting you and they're sharing their life with you and they're expecting you to represent them and be their voice. So it was a wonderful experience. I absolutely would do it again. I Uh, hope you do it again. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing is that it's grueling physically and mentally. So you really have to go in knowing that Again, I would do it all again, but it's important to realize that. And also, I was thinking about this earlier, the relationships you have before you go in, it's important that they're strong because you will not be able to maintain them at the same level if you're doing your campaign right. And so you just have to realize that as well. Yeah, and that's the sacrifice part. And both Saul and Marie were nodding their head and they said, <laughs> it was all of those things. We all saw and each other a lot was, on the campaign you know, An honor, you know, to run. So 
I'd love to hear a little bit from, you know, both of you in terms of your experience. Sure. So I think my positive was that humanity is great, and and that's a really big, broad chunk. But what I mean about that is that I knew that I liked my fellow man and woman a lot, but getting into this and meeting everybody did, by and large, 99.9% really good experience with human beings. And and not that I didn't expect that, but it kind of went above and beyond. It wasn't just uh, folks in my constituency, but people that helped me on my campaign were outstanding, right? We, we had a great team, which is why I think that we were able to achieve what we did. So the positive was is that not only was I positive about humanity going in, I was even more positive coming out of this mm-hmm. um, ordeal, which is great. On the negative side, if I'm being 100% transparent, I think that I didn't know the level or the depth and the subterranean level of the tactics that would be used against me. That kind of sort of surprised me, even though I thought I knew going in, I didn't. Right. But it was really good learning experience, right? And made me uh, <laughs> made my character a little bit stronger, for sure. But should I do this again, I will know going in, and that will give me great confidence. So like Kelly, I would do it again, for, or I would consider doing it again for sure. But I do feel it was an absolute joy to run. It was joy. It was joyful. Yeah, so I think I completely agree with what Maria and Kelly, what you both said. I would say a positive takeaway from me, same thing, the amazing people, the amazing stories I met. You know, a few days after the election, I went to the ocean (laughs) and was standing standing in sand (laughs) and praying and physically acknowledging what I was grateful for and my gratitude. And so what I was grateful for was to have had this experience of meeting amazing people, having them trust me with their stories. But also I gave gratitude for having had this personal challenging experience. So I was like, I'm grateful that I got the scare, you know, crap scared out of me. I'm grateful. (laughs) that this was really hard. I'm grateful I got to be so vulnerable. I'm grateful for this, 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 this. And guess what? I survived. I'm on the other side and so much stronger in so many ways for it. And I also had a moment on that beach where I said, wow, I got present and said, I said yes to this because of young people and families and the mission that I work with. And No other candidate in my race, certainly, was talking about the things that I was talking about. No one shared about what homeless youth and families are going through in this country. Mm -hmm. And I just had a moment of pride. And I didn't feel a lot of pride on the campaign. (laughs) In retrospect, was such a moment of pride for me because I walked away knowing that I truly uplifted their stories. And in terms of a negative, I made my decision to run very quickly in four and a half hours over one night. My race was the shortest here. So both, you know, good and bad. And they gave up a year or more of their lives. <laughs> um, I, I gave up 112 days, uh, you know, and, and also very grueling, no time off. Yeah. I'd probably say I knew it would be expensive. I knew kind of what the money thing was, but I had no I, real depth of idea. So how incredibly expensive it is how much money you have to fundraise, and what that personal sacrifice is. I made a personal financial sacrifice to take a leave of absence from work. And I, you know, reflect and think back. You know, I know why a lot of single women don't do this. Mm -hmm, Why a lot of working class women don't do this. You know, I'm squarely in the middle class now because of the work that I have done and the life that I've led, but it's significant. And had I not had the privilege of taking a leave of absence and quitting my job, I would have had a difficult time. And I don't know that I could have made the same decision to say, if I don't win, I don't know where my next mortgage payment will come from. Mm -hmm. So it's a challenge. Yeah, and I think that 
you know, that might be one of the extra challenges why we don't have as many women running because let's face it, I mean, whether you're a mom or you're a woman running an organization where you literally have thousands of lives that depend on the work that you do, I mean, you sacrifice already and it's like you can't really make Mm -hmm. room for this. So you really have to drop everything you're doing like you all did in your own lives. And you were among, of course, the first women to run for Congress in the wake of Me Too and Time's Up, which I think is amazing and like such a a place in history that you guys will have. And, you know, it's a challenge to run for office for the first time, but it's something else to run representing this new movement and this wave of women who raised their hand and said, I'll run. So what impact did that movement have on you as a candidate in your race? You know, I mean, like, did you feel supported by other women? Did it give you any advantages or disadvantages? And did you feel any kind of special obligation to the movement as a candidate? Who wants to take that first? Well, I'll, I'll go first. I'll share. I chose to share my own personal Me Too story mm-hmm. throughout the campaign. And I felt proud about doing that. And I felt a sense of affinity with other women and girls. I felt a lot of support from women and girls. And I specifically chose to tell my story of childhood sexual abuse because I wanted young women that look like me, black and brown women, to be able to see themselves in me and see that that experience did more than have me just be a victim, right? Mm-hmm. That it defined me and helped shape me into the survivor that I am today, but also the type of work I do and why I choose to do that. And I felt firm being able to stand on you know my set of platform issues and say this is why we need more women in congress right we need to change the culture and we also need to have folks that have had this experience so i feel proud about it i feel incredibly supported by women throughout the the campaign and you know i'd while I had already processed this experience that happened to me as a child, mm-hmm. and I've been through all that, and I'm in my you know early 40s today, it was actually quite triggering for other women. And so I got a series of phone calls and texts and Facebook messages from women saying, oh my God, I, I can't believe you shared that story. Right. I-, I haven't shared my story publicly, right. or this happened to me. I had a good friend who I've known for 15 years, and I didn't know this had happened to her. And in my video, I say, you know, I had a box that was sort of acted my, as my alarm system mm-hmm. to prevent to hear my abuser coming into my room. My friend sends me this one-line text. She said, I put a bell on my door now. Wow. Right? So it was a real also privilege to able to be an opening or a conduit to encourage and inspire other women to share their stories as well. Yeah, I have to say, and having borne witness to your race, I mean, it was really amazing kind of the outpouring of of interest and support and I, and not just here, but nationally as well. I mean, your story really inspired a lot of people. And I think it was really the first story of a woman running for office in the wake of the movement that came out in that way. And, you know, think about it your a year box, ago. The yes. box and the commercial. Yeah. I oh mean, I think anybody who saw your commercial would remember that because I think I don't, you know, we didn't watch much TV, right? Or But but I saw it once and and it was so powerful. So, I mean, it really was. And uh, it was really brave of you and wonderful of you to share that story. And I will always remember that box against the door. It really made, made an impression on me. And I would say that, um, you know, when I announced my campaign, the Me Too movement really hadn't started yet. But I'm fortunate that it did uh, for all of us. Um, And I think every woman has experienced some kind of form of sexual harassment. And this is why we need more women in government to help to in in leadership positions to help level the playing field 
and to combat unacceptable behavior Mm -hmm. by other people. So we really have to keep pushing on this. I am fortunate that I know two of the women here in Illinois who were big leaders in the Me Too movement as well, and it took a lot of courage from them. And when I was hearing their stories, I was like, and yours, you know, I was shocked. But again, we need to keep pushing forward on this, and we need more women out there representing us because women need to be heard. And did you feel like when you were running that you, for the the women you were you were interacting with in the field, so to speak, was this an issue for them? You know. I didn't, uh, to be completely frank, I didn't hear so much about that from the voters. I heard more about women just wanting better representation in Congress and in the Senate Mm -hmm. and in state government. And so I just constantly heard women saying, I want to vote for a woman. Right. Well, and not having as many women in Congress is in part a result of this culture. So, you know, so it does all obviously tie into one another. Right. Yeah. And I would tag off both of Saul's comments and uh, Kelly's comments in that not only is this the moral thing to do to have more women in um, Congress at every level of government, I would say, but this you have to think about this in addition to that. And that's the most important reason. It's a moral imperative for all of us to have representation that works and is representative of the but if you think about this in whether you are in business nonprofit world advocacy or government it this is logical mm-hmm. 50% of the population is women and 50% of the population is men this is just a logical thing that should happen mm-hmm. so I, I've been asked this question many times and I'm I'm lucky to have had uh, many friends in my life that have become great survivors like Saul and the like, because my life has been richer as a result of that. But what we have to understand is that, and I've said this about immigration and working families and many things, is that if you're not going to do it for the moral reason, Mm -hmm. and you should, (laughs) let's do it for the logical reason, right? This is logical. Right. Right. And I just want to mention, too, that our campaign had an anti-sexual harassment policy in place, and we had people sign off on it, and we wanted to create a safe place where if anybody, male or female, experienced some kind of harassment, they could come forward and speak of it without any repercussions. Right. Yeah, so there's a silver lining in all of this, and that's ultimately yeah. changing the culture. So I want to put in perspective that you guys each had your own very unique set of circumstances in each of your races. So Kelly, you were in a race facing five women and two men, so there was seven in your race. <laughs> so I'll face a very popular male incumbent elected official in a very, like you said, in only 112 days really to run for that spot. And then Marie faced an incumbent from one of the oldest names in Chicago politics and machine politics for that matter. So, and for Saul and Marie, I think folks are, you know, maybe interested in hearing about the unique obstacles that you faced as women and, you know, challenging these kind of established opponents during your run and kind of what you observed and learned from that. So this is Saul. So I I would start and say, uh, the first thing is I definitely experienced the patriarchy <laughs> in that. Um, so in, in Spanish, um, a colloquial word you may say is mija, which means like, you know, young sister, little sister, daughter, mm. right? It could be a term of endearment. Like, uh, aren't you cute? Yes. And so I definitely experienced having, you know, older Latino men <laughs> say to me, basically, mija, it's not your turn mm. or not yet. Or, you know, it's really his turn. 
And I thought, well, wait a second. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one ever tapped me and said, it's my turn to help young people and families in our community. No one tapped me and said, you know, sacrifice your professional and personal life to do the work that we do in the public nonprofit sector. And so that was disheartening. And you start to hear it over and over. What I didn't hear strongly was I didn't hear that from women. And so that was heartening. And so I say that, that that was one piece in terms of like, the machine mm-hmm. <laughs> or that uh, the incumbency. I think the other piece that was surprising is that, you know, during this process, you go out, you try to meet other groups, you try to get endorsements and support. And I'd be in these interviews or fill out these forms and, and the folks interviewing would be like, oh my God, like exactly what you're saying has been our strategic plan for the next three years and five years. You're exactly the kind of leader and that's exactly what we believe. Oh. And they'd sit there and they'd like huge smiles and beaming and and so engaged with me. And I, and I really, these felt like very authentic responses. Mm-hmm. And then what they couldn't do is they couldn't make the leap. They couldn't make the leap to leave the incumbent. And he wasn't even an incumbent. (laughs) He acted like an incumbent. He was anointed by the the outgoing congressman. But they couldn't make that leap to to, to go with, you know, who they felt was actually better aligned with their goals and the mission of what their groups were trying to do. So that also felt like, well, (laughs) was that a complete waste of time? And what does this process look like? And you know, and I think if you're on the other side and you're young, 20 something year old millennial, then these stories have only helped to authenticate what you believe. They're like, ah, oh, this political process, it it's is already not- fixed. Yes, exactly. Right, right. Well, yeah, that was a very interesting kind of experience in that respect. And I think for Marie, there are similarities yeah, in that in were. that way as well. There, I, you'd often hear me say on the trail that I was constantly pushing two gigantic boulders up the mountain. And one was the Lipinski monarchy, mm-hmm. because the Lipinski family has been in a place for 36 years now. So that is not an easy thing to do. And when I say we, it's my campaign, my supporters, my volunteers, my staff and me equally just pushing that one boulder up. Then the other boulder was the Chicago machine, because mm-hmm. the Chicago machine was built and organized in my district. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a hundred years worth of patriarchy. And those are the two boulders I pushed up the hill That's every single day. That's one of the day. last areas where actual machine still yeah. really is in yeah. place, that yeah. kind of organization. And it's broken down a lot. And what folks are telling me now is that our campaign actually helped break it down some more, which is great. But until we get rid of the monarchies and the machines, we are going to not have great outcomes um, mm-hmm. in terms of our government oversight in, in this nation, but also in Illinois. So with that, what I would say is the the great things that came out of my campaign were not just an adjustment into how we think about women and the machine, but also, is it really good to have anointments like that? Everybody knows the story of Dan Lipinski. He inherited the seat from his dad. Eight weeks out from the general election, he was uh, he inherited the seat and then has stayed in place. Because, and didn't he live in Tennessee or something like right yeah, before about, that? Yeah, about uh, two months before the election. He, the general election, his dad had gotten through the primary, right? Bill Lipinski. And mm-hmm. so he, you know, he said about, I don't know, 10 or 11 weeks out, gosh, I want to retire. Who, 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 who could take my place? Oh, my gosh. Who could? Oh, someone with my name. That'd be good, wouldn't it? What you have to understand is that in a district that's working super hard all the time, more people have two jobs than one in my district. They don't have time to understand wow, my my congressman is not voting the way that I want him to. And so our campaign actually effectively revealed real information about his very very dangerous views and votes. So to that end, we push, we crushed some of the boulder, right, of the Lipinski monarchy and the machine. So 
um, hopefully the campaign had resonance there. Yeah, that was really like the first time I think voters at a macro level actually understood the voting record that he had because yeah. before then he was never really challenged. No one was yeah. spending money and, and effort and time to actually educate voters on the fact that he was so far to the right and basically a Republican mm-hmm. and not a Democrat. And yeah. that's why you came, how many votes? A few hundred? No, um, actually, I think it landed oh, it was like around 1,200 1, 1, or 1, so. 1,200, yeah. Right, 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 which is... Yeah, statistically incredibly close. Yeah. So, Becky, one thing I just want to add too, this helps just remind me of it too, is that one of the things that I, I was proud to say is that I was the first Latina running for Congress. And had I been elected, would have represented the state of Illinois. And at that, how yeah. significant that was also in my race. Yeah. You know, both from the perspective of the issues that we were talking about when we talk about pay equity and that Latinas make the least of all women. It's like uh, 53 cents exactly. to a dollar a guy yeah. makes. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and that that was something actually to be proud of. And that was about identity. And it's incredibly important when we think about, you know, the great state of Illinois, we have 2 million Latinos and growing in the states, the mm-hmm. fastest growing population. And of those 2 million, 1 million are Latinas. Right. right. And so I was proud to stand on that point as a woman and, and say, yes, we should have a Latina in Congress right. from Illinois. Well, sure. and you can't be what you can't see. So you That's have right. to be out there to show other women who do look like you and have your experience yeah. know so, that you can do that. And your whole life experience, have the life experience you have and you can still be successful and yes. have a great life and also contribute it right back. So now in in your race, Kelly, I mean, I'm being subjective, but I think most people would agree that you are hands down the strongest candidate in your field, highest profile, most money raised, most endorsements. But, you know, facing that many women in a race seemed to kind of work against you in some way. And so I kind of look at and I'm like, so what can the party and those who are looking to elect more women to Congress learn from your race and experience to make sure the next time around that we don't let someone like you fall through the cracks? Because that's the way I look at it. I mean, and everyone was credible. And, and it's I'm sure anyone in your race could be better than Peter Roscom. But I like to think that you know, part of what a party should be doing is making sure that they're helping to get the very best people who can win and represent our values go to Congress. So what would you, you know, say, especially with other women groups out there who are and, and others who are trying to get more women in the office about how you kind of address these situations? Well, that is the question. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you for your compliment. Yeah, it is an issue when you have these crowded fields. Uh, and it is interesting. Each one of us here had very, very different races yeah. with unique personalities yeah. as I sit here and learn more and more about it. And that is a problem. And had I known going in it was going to be so crowded, I'm not sure I would have changed my mind. But when I did decide to run, there were only like two, three people in it. So Mm -hmm. it just kept growing and growing. And at the end, I want to point out that about 70% of the votes went to the female candidates. So this clearly is a district that wants a woman to represent them. But at the end, because the vote was split, it allowed a man to get through and win. Right. So, you know, I think that my race will be an example for some other crowded races in the country. I already have learned about a race in Pennsylvania where there were at least two women in it and one was not viable. And there was another a, a man in it as well. And so the female who was not viable stepped down and endorsed the other female candidate, which wow. was a very noble sacrifice to Absolutely. make. And it blew me away. But you know, not everybody is going to want to do that. Right. You right. know, that's a huge sacrifice and decision to make. 
I just think going forward, it's it's tricky business, and you need to know what you're getting into, and that it could split the vote, and things could happen like mine. The other thing that worked against me is dark PAC money. We've all talked about this, you know, on oh, the really? campaign I wasn't trail. Aware of this. Yeah, yeah, about campaign finance reform, and about five days before the election day. We found out that there was a super PAC, it was a shady super PAC, dark money as we call it, that did a major attack against me. And they did three mailings that were really hideous, full of blatant lies about me. And they also spent a ton of money doing phone calls against me as well. So you put those two things together, and we know that was a Democrat that did that. It was the treasure on the PAC, the super PAC was a Democrat. So... I fully expected to be attacked, if I was fortunate to win, to get attacked immediately Mm -hmm. by the incumbent. But we kind of had this understanding we weren't going to go negative in the the Mm -hmm. primary. But obviously, it was an outside pack. This is what happens. So you need to be prepared for that. But those two things together, the crowded field and then the dark pack money that we don't know, it's anonymous. This is, there's no transparency in it. Both those things combined are what did me, did me, brought me down. Wow, I just learned something new after paying incredibly close attention to your race. But I suspect that there will be, whether it's an Emily's List or NARAL or others who do aspire to have more women in office are going to look at this as a case study almost to try to figure out and give advice and counsel to others because it's not going to be the last time. I mean, it's great to have five women raise their hand and say they want to run, but I'd love to spread that out a little bit. (laughs) I'm going to say one other thing, too. Mm -hmm. We all started the women in the in the race, and the men for that matter, we started at the same place, and that is from square one. Mm-hmm. And after time, it became clear who the front runners were. And I was able to earn that status because of the endorsements, because of our work ethic, and because I was able to raise money. So I earned it, I wanna be clear about that. And, it, and the field started to break away. Mm-hmm. And so you knew who was capable of winning because you had to have that, those things in place to beat an incumbent like the one I was up against. Yep. And yet um, it didn't matter and it became very obvious who wasn't viable. And everybody in that race had a right to run. Sure. But it, it took up space and in the end, you know, a woman didn't win because of Right. Well, and that's why I just firmly believe that for other races out there where it is a situation like that, people within the party need to have, you know, tough conversations with people to make sure that, you know, we're thinking about really what's in the best interest of the party and ultimately the people they're representing. Because in the case of the 6th District, you know, we don't have the right person who's representing, you know, their interest there. So, So if you were able to give some guidance and counsel to other women looking to jump in and run, what would be maybe the three-ish things that you advise them to do or not do based on this experience that you've had? There's three things that come to mind right away that one of which I didn't do well. In terms of voter contact, I had a lot of voter contact and constituent contact very early, and that was kind of frowned upon by the establishment, that they felt like I should be spending 100% of my time on fundraising. Mm -hmm. Turns out that I did it right because I got a lot of awareness earlier and then was able to kind of follow that through and aggregate it, and it culminated in a good spot. That said, 
what I didn't do is I didn't target some of the areas very well, like where I had very low awareness. So I would encourage myself if I were writing myself to my younger self just a year ago, (laughs) I would say, get your hiney to those seven wards (laughs) a lot more. And so shame on me for not, even though I knew that going in, I didn't prioritize that. So, So that is another, make sure that you get to every part of your district, no matter what it is, as much as possible. And then the third piece is, Allow yourself to assimilate everybody's great advice because I was lucky. I had a lot of really great folks from uh, folks that had endorsed me were giving me outstanding advice that got me farther, faster. Everyone from NARAL and all of HRC and all of the PACs all the way over to individual politicians that were very generous with their time and their energy and money, quite frankly. So that was all good. But the one thing, if you can, in your career, if you've been a good assimilator, Use that skill on the trail as much as you can. And don't be afraid once you've assimilated and you come to a different conclusion than others, be, be okay with speaking out. So that is a piece of advice mm-hmm. I would share. That's great. I had never thought that I would run for elected office <laughs> and as such uh, did not participate or benefit from any of these amazing recent sort of training programs and workshops and and groups that are now springing up around the country that are chaining you and preparing women. can't keep up women. with them. There's so many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so the first thing I would say is if there's any a woman listening out there who's thinking about running, I would say find one of those workshops, organizations, books, and absorb it. Take it all in because um, to have that kind of information up front really allows you to get, you know, have a good base of technical understanding, right? Because there's actually a, a, a ground knowledge of technical foundational information that you need. Right. So you could then begin to really d- dive deep into strategy, et cetera, et cetera, especially if you don't know or you have a time crunch that I had. So that'd be the first thing I'd say. Even, you know, maybe you didn't think you were run, but yeah, even me, I didn't think I run, you still do it. <laughs> Plus, well, I didn't you, you like wake women. up one morning and then by the end of the day, within 24 yes. hours, all of a sudden you were running for office? Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I would say another thing for me briefly is like you would have these moments, I'm sure, on the campaign trail to, you know, Kelly used the word grueling. Yes, they were very difficult. I'm not, you know, I'm going to sit here and tell you there were moments that I cried at night. <laughs> alone. And the thing that got me through it, and I think this is important for whether or not you're running for office or you're leading up an organization or leading an impressive effort in your community, is to stay present to why you said yes and whatever it takes you to do that. So if it's a poem, if it's a photo, if it's a conversation with yourself or someone that you love and trust that you can look at and immediately, because time is not on your side when you're running a campaign, presents you to it and then it allows you to really allow everything else to roll off your back. I have a coach, an executive coach that I've used for years, and she helped me on the campaign. And we would go through and we'd we'd sort of have these things. So this is the third thing I'd say is, you know, you would have to raise money from strangers. You'd have to stand on street corners mm-hmm. and ask people to stop in the freezing cold to hear your message, right? <laughs> you had to walk into unfriendly rooms. And the way that I did this and I was successful is that I lived by this mantra of love everyone. Just love everyone. 
and look for their light as a human being. And so they could be sitting there and you know they are da da da. But when people feel loved and heard, then I think it just grounds them in a space of respect. And I'm right, I was on the south side of Chicago in the, in the heart of, of uh, my opponent's you know, home base. And someone walked by, walking by and they'd say, well, I've already made up my mind. I said, oh, it's okay, you can still stop and say hi and introduce <laughs> yourself. And then he was like, Okay, yeah, I guess I can do that. Hi, my name is, you know. Uh, And so I'd say those are kind of three things for me immediately. If you ask me this, Becky, in six months, I might have a different three. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll come back in six months and see. But I will say, I never would have guessed that even you had a tough night because every single day you were just full of light and smiles. And I mean, when everyone else dragging down, like you're just like, let's go. So, you know, you, you have boundless energy and, and I'm, it's admirable. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. It's really interesting hearing whatever, what you guys had to say. To your point, uh, Saul, I would say three things. First is I will, the Illinois Women's Institute of Leadership, yeah. uh, which Marie and I have gone through yep. and graduated from, and Becky or Betsy Londrigan, mm-hmm. who's running. It was instrumental in getting me here, and it's a wonderful, wonderful program. So I encourage women to join I will here in Illinois and apply and go through that because it tells you what to expect and gives you some groundwork and lays the foundation. The second thing would be to put, once you've decided to run, to put a team in place that can go the distance. And I was fortunate because of I will, and I'd been in a previous election, that one of the first things I did was go out and interview the consultants that I wanted for my race and uh, found an excellent uh, call time manager. And that, again... Which is very key. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, that's my third point. And I think that really made the difference because I had that already done. And I didn't have to worry about it. And they were already on board to give me advice from day one instead of just me and uh, my call time manager who became my finance director. That, again, was because of I will and good people that I had met along the way who gave me great advice. So I spent a lot of time interviewing. And I have to say that was grueling, deciding who your media consultant is, your pollster, your mail consultant. Uh, But at the end, you spend almost all of your time with your call time manager and your team, and you better like them. Yeah. <laughs> Not only should they be yes. qualified, that's yeah. the number one thing, right. but you have yeah. to like them. And I feel very fortunate that I kept the same people from day one to the very end of my campaign, because I understand that is unusual. It is very unusual. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was very fortunate, and I don't know if I'd ever have that same luck again. And I also want to stress that I also had a very supportive family. When I talked about relationships earlier, I, I forgot to say I had a very strong family and a husband who was 100% behind me. But it does challenge you because you don't spend as much time right. with them. Oh, totally. And then the last thing that I would say, it's interesting, Marie, what you had to say about call time, because that is all I did. Yeah. And you think that when you're going to step up and run, you know, it it may sound like it's glamorous or it's exciting, but it is not. <laughs> Let me be clear. You spend all your time raising money because you got to have that good quarter of fundraising to show your viability. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be committed to asking for money. If you don't have mm-hmm. money, you cannot get your message Very out. Yeah. And You're intimidated by that, then don't run. Well, <laughs> and you know, I it's was fortunate. Easy. I was in an investment field beforehand yeah. years ago and I so learned used to cold to call. For money. I was used to calling complete strangers and, and I was good at it and I opened a lot of accounts. So that served me well. 
But be aware that getting in front of the voters and call time are where you're going to spend most of your time. It is not about learning policy, which it should be. And this is because of campaign finance laws and where we're at today and that you have to have so much freaking money to yeah. run. And it's it's just it's unreal. It's but those really are the unreal. things. And, I, and I, I want to say one more thing. Getting in front of the voters is also critical, as Marie mentioned, because you will be running on empty at the end of the day, like Saul said. And being after a long day of call time and you're just dragging your butt to mm -hmm. get out the door to go somewhere, when you get there and meet the voters yeah. and hear their stories, I will come home so elevated yes. from right. that experience. Yeah, so it fills your tank up. Yeah. So yes. you've got to find Absolutely. that balance and find out what fills you up, too, to keep you going. Yeah, inspire yes. you to keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so. agreed. I, I, I'm just sitting here laughing and thinking, <laughs> yes, 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 yes to all You're like, I'm having memories and flashbacks <laughs> yes. a month ago. <laughs> it actually is. Is it a month ago? It was three weeks three, ago Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's Green right. So I think we're going to wrap this by asking, and I can't believe we've already like almost gotten to the end here, but you know, if you were to have a conversation with yourself back when you first decided to run, and now that you've gone through all that you've experienced, what might be like that one piece? That, we've given a lot of advice, but we're talking about you, right? Yeah. So what would be like your piece of advice to you now that you've gone through what you've gone through? You're looking at me. So I'll go first. One, don't get in a crowded primary. <laughs> but I didn't know that going in. Uh, had I known, yeah. If you know it's going to be crowded, you want to think hard and 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 know that you can distinguish yourself from the pack. I, I you 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 can't really know, but you got to go in thinking you have that ability. And then I think also to know, to ask yourself about whether you're willing to go negative. Or, and I, I think negative, it's not always negative. If had I gone, in retrospect, there were some candidates in the race who lived out of the district. And uh, that never really wow. came out. Three of them. Wow. And that, and though that is completely allowed, it's a good way to lose a race. And we saw what happened with John Ossoff. So as a front runner, I was, and maybe because I'm a woman too, and I don't want to say it, but it's true. I don't know if we're held to different standards, but going negative or pointing out these things, you know, we had this mm -hmm. discussion a lot. And so in retrospect, I would have given it a lot more consideration about pointing out some major differences about uh, my opponents and me, and maybe consider bringing up some facts that may not have been so pleasant, but I think it's important for people to have a clear understanding. And I wanted to run a campaign based on my strength and a positive message, and I didn't go there. Right. And now in hindsight, I'm thinking, hmm, I would have given that more serious thought. But again, it's again, a lesson for yourself, yes. and especially yes. if you should ever do this again and for other women who are listening. I'd say what I would tell myself, right, 150 days ago now, right, something like that. Similar to Kelly, I mean, I raised my hand when there were seven people, so seven, de seven candidates, seven Democrats submitted petitions. Now, but I had that lens of I know I can differentiate myself right. from those yeah, other okay. six people, and so that's why I did raise my hand. I would say to Soul, get off of it faster. So I was scared. I had this fear of I don't know how. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a candidate. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And instead. 
you know, sort of diminish that and disappear it very quickly and focus on what I do know. Mm -hmm. And I think it took me a little longer to get to that. Uh, and once I was really able to, to, to tap into that um, level of confidence, it also allowed me to feel like I'm more in control of my destiny. And then that just allows and opens up for more things. So I'd say feel less scared. Uh, and I, and I'm going to, for me, I know that's part of, you know, my stereotypical gender, right? I I look at something and I say, do, do I know how to do that 95%? Right. Because <laughs> then if I know how to do it 95%, I'm a yes. Right. Uh, because I want to do it right. And that, I had a great team as well, and they focused on that a lot. And they said, so, well, here are the things that you do know. Stay focused on what you do know. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I would say to myself and I would say to other women who are considering running and or, and, or considering a leadership position. Right. Focus on what you do know. Can I make one comment? Yes. I know Marie has No, 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 go ahead. Um, in politics, you probably learned this, Marie, through I Will. Women usually have to be asked to run, mm-hmm. at least the first time, okay? They, yeah. and men do not. Right. Women question <laughs> their ability like, and whether they're qualified. <laughs> right, and, when, and women ask, am I qualified? Men yes. don't ask that question. Exactly, they just and jump we, right in. So I think <laughs> get out of your comfort yes. zone and learn what you are capable of doing because I think all of us in this room have done, have learned what we are capable of doing because we got out of our comfort zones. And so I encourage women and anyone to do that because you will be surprised and you will never regret it, in my opinion. That's right. That is an awesome point. I love that. (laughs) So um, I have strategic advice and then tactical advice for myself. I think my my strategic (laughs) advice would be that to think about a political campaign. I learned because my marketing background that not everything in marketing applies, which is actually true. And I learned that the hard way several points throughout the um, campaign. So that was a good learning for me. So I would I should have accepted earlier on that political messaging is different than branding and marketing messaging. So that is learning number one. And I would tell my your younger self that every day. The second piece is, is that tactically geography is everything. And being able to clone yourself, I think, would be the most <laughs> <laughs> obvious solution. That's right? about 100 years from now. Yeah, but. really. Like, if, if, And so what that really means is that it's just this funny little tactical thing, but being in more geography, more, even though I got to all 40 communities at least seven times a piece, I should have cloned myself in a very realistic way, which would have more surrogates. So I would have mm-hmm. more surrogates. It's just so strategically messaging would be slightly different, and then on a tactical level, having more surrogates that were willing to do the hard work, having them in those strategic geographies. That's a really good point, especially in a race like yours, where Mm -hmm. you have a lot to overcome in terms of that name that you have to differentiate yourself from. Mm -hmm. But yeah, women who are running, you got to think about who are going to be the validators to go out there and kind of represent you and who you are and your ideas and values. So well, I have to say, I've, I've gotten to know all of you over the last year or so in different capacities. And I'm really, truly, and I've been doing politics for so long, but I really, truly was inspired by getting to know all of you and to see you run. And while I'm incredibly disappointed that you didn't win, I really do hope that you guys not just consider running again, but 
also keep getting your stories out there and keep doing something with the brands that you've built in this space because you can still continue to have an impact. So I want to thank all of you, Kelly Mazeski, Sal Flores, and Marie Newman, and you guys are awesome. Let's give you all a hand. Again, thank you all for being here. And you know, the broadcast is brought to you by C Strategies LLC. That's me, a strategic communications and public affairs firm bringing passion and veteran experience to help their clients meet their business goals. Our sponsors are We Will, which empowers women and children to get involved in the legislative process by affording them opportunities to have their voice heard. And Evolver, Chicago's only creative co-working space for women. And thank you to our podcast host, 1871. And the broadcast Podcast is produced and edited by Tweed Thornton. Yay, thank you, Tweed. Um, additional editing provided by Nicholas Fedora, and music is by Christy Bennett's Thumi Gypsy Project. It's really cool. So, to learn more about C Strategies and the broadcast, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at C Strategies LLC, or you can visit CStrategies.com. And thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks, Becky. Thank, thank you. you. So come, let the world.